I found that a lot of people were much more likely to have this culture of like, you need to take care of yourself. Everyone always told me you need to, like on the weekends, I'm like, you need to disconnect. And I was like, why does everybody say the same thing to me? What is this disconnecting? But now this is something that I say too. It's essential to disconnect from the hamster wheel of work or whatever you have going with your family or what have you. You need time to disconnect and be with yourself. Hello there and welcome to the Being All of Us podcast. My name is Brian David George and this is a bonus episode. I'll be releasing a few bonus episodes now that uh, were conversations I recorded when making the first season and they were just waiting for the right time to come out. So now is that time. Enjoy them and very soon we'll be talking about some other things, the future of this podcast. So stay tuned and enjoy. Welcome to the Being All of Us podcast. I am here today with a very special guest, Jean Young Choi. Jean, thank you so much for joining. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. So Jean, uh, you know that I'm going to ask you to tell your story. Before I do, I want yep. to talk a little bit about your name, because just before we hit record, we were talking about your name, and I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about it. You were talking about a nickname, and I don't know, it sounds, oh, okay. sounds like a so, fun story, and it's part of your story. It is part. You know, it's funny, because actually, I always had this weird paranoia growing up. I was very shy growing up, and when people would ask me my name, I always felt like I couldn't pronounce my name. I don't know if this happens to other people. If it does, give me a shout out. But I'd always say Jean and people have called me Jane. They've called me Tina. And when I was very young, like I wouldn't Tina? speak up. Yeah, it's, I don't even, it was at church <laughs> when I was little. And I think because I had such a quiet voice because I was very shy and I wouldn't correct them. So I remember for a long time, people call me Jane, et cetera. Anyways, the point being, I never really felt actually like a strong connection to my name until I got older and I understood where it came from. My parents are from Korea. They're American now. And I was born in the States. And so in Korea, usually you have three syllables to your name. You have the, the family name, which is your last name. And then you have two syllables. Nowadays, they, they have some one syllable names, which I don't understand. But so in, in my case, it's Che, which is Choi, which is a whole nother thing because they Americanized it. So Che turned into Choi. It has to do with spelling. And then Tinyong is my name. So my parents thought when I was born, oh, let's try to make her fit in more and be a little bit more American. So let's split it up. And these Americans, they seem to have this middle name, so-called middle name. So we'll make her first name Jean, her middle name Young, and then obviously her last name is Choi. And so the interesting thing, the thing that I was telling you before is that no one ever called me Tinyong because my nickname was Tortol, which I got when I was a baby. And my grandfather, my paternal grandfather came when I was born. And then he saw me until I was like two or three. He lived with us. And I was, I don't know. They said I was running up the stairs very early on. And for some reason in his mind, that was like, meant that I was smart. And he was like, this child is going to be very smart. She's very cute and smart. So it's like cutie smarty, doctor. it means cutie smarty. So I always react, like I hear that name and I, that's me. So when I went to Korea for the first time, when I was like eight and people call me Jinyoung, I was like, what? Like, I didn't respond to it because I'm I never I'm the cutie thought, smarty. What are you talking about? Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm the cutie. So yeah, I never responded to that name. But then also going back, 
I realized that Qin and Yong, okay, this is getting into more details about Korea and how things are done, but official documents long time ago used to be put in Chinese characters. The Korean alphabet and the, lang the language always existed, but the alphabet was created later on to create something phonetic to actually put that down. But for, for official documents, they use Chinese characters. So in Chinese characters, Jin is one character and Yong is the other, and it means truth and, and flourishing. So I didn't know that for a long time. And so I was like talking to my parents and my parents are kind of typical, like Korean American immigrants in the sense that like growing up, they were so focused on raising the family and like dealing with, and now I appreciate this, especially because I live in a different country because I live in Madrid that they were navigating a whole different country language customs and then having children and have to worry about that and making ends meet. So, you know, they, they didn't explain a lot of things. So they never sat down and talked to me about like, Oh, this is what your name means. But no, that's like something I feel like my generation does, but whereas my parents' generation was, it was like, okay, too much talking, like, let's move on. Like let's function, let's survive. So yeah, so that's the story behind my name. And, and it's interesting because in Spain, because they tend to have the two last names they think like when they call me for the doctor, they always say Jean is my first name and Young is my first last name. And then Choi is my second last name. So there is confusion sometimes as to how I'm registered in different appointments, but it's fine. I deal with it. Like it, 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 I understand it. It's confusing for them. My name in general is confusing for them. And it's weird because I always thought that they would call me Heian. Like look, reading like it. this, the literal or the phonetic Spanish phonetic pronunciation of the word Jean is. Yeah, Heian, I thought it would be Jean, right? but they all call me John. Everybody calls uh. me John, and so I'm like, okay, this is what they imagine it means. And then I always tell them como vaquero, like denim jeans, <laughs> and that's when people understand my name. Like, so, oh, okay, Jean. They also, I'm sorry, but people really like to call me. This happened in my previous job. Actually, both of them, people really like to call me Jean Choi, like my full name. Hmm. Like, so when they address me, they'll be like, hola, Jean Choi. Like, and I was like, is it, do you like how it sounds? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, like, some people just have a name that, that's asking to be fully spoken. I guess no? so. Oh, I've never thought about it that way. I feel special for that. But yeah. <laughs> so you're Jean Choi. Jean Choi. Jean Choi. I'm Jean Choi. Hi, Jean Choi. I'm Brian David George. <laughs> <laughs> So Jean Choi, awesome. um, yes. that's it. For the rest of the episode, you're going to be Jean Choi. I, be Jean I hope Choi. you're happy with that. Yes. And if not, then you can tell me. It's fine. I I might, I feel like I might have jumped or pushed us into uh -huh. a later part of the conversation and uh -huh. stolen a bit of your spotlight in in talking about, you know, your story a bit more. I mean, you've been mentioning pieces of it now here and there. Why don't we give some time and space to you talking about one day... There's a little beautiful girl born, and her name was Jean Young Choi. Tell us a little bit about your story, wherever you want to start it. Oh, Lord. You know, it's always evolving. And it's oh, like I put emphasis on different areas depending on, I guess, what's going on in my life. But I, oh, that's such a loaded and difficult question for me mm. in the sense of like, oof. Okay. The thing is, what I if, personally, what yeah, if we me. consider it like your journey instead of your story? What if we talk about your journey? My journey, okay, if I put it as my journey, I would say it's about learning, it sounds so corny, but it's about learning who I am and how to best serve my needs, which are also on another axis, my needs are always changing as well. 
So it's, it's a constant evolution and then kind of readjusting to the different evolutions that I go through. It's funny because the other day I found my third grade autobiography and it was like, Ooh, wow. I was this annoying child who like wrote literally a hundred pages typed and, and I was in the third grade of like my whole story. So I'm not going to tell you what I wrote there. Cause that would take too long, wow. but, but it's because I put, so I think ever since I was young, I don't know if I told you this before, Brian, but like, I love stories too. Like, like you, I think stories are so important whether it's like, literally, I would enjoy work projects sometimes because I would be like, what's the story I'm trying to, to tell? Like, what is the, the message I'm trying to tell? And I always feel like memories, small things that happen, like I, I lock them away and I love to revisit them because they are rich stories full of like a lot of different aspects that are moving and, and that are meaningful. And usually we don't give a lot of time to give meaning to these small moments. But anyways, journey wise, I guess, yeah, it's mostly about if I just look, for example, at, at where I'm living, if I use that as one conduit for examining my journey, like physically moving, I was born in Texas. I don't remember it. My only memory is sitting in like a, a pail of water and sitting on a porch because it was so hot as wow. a child. My grandma would just put me in a pail and put me on the porch. I was a very good baby. I was, a, I was apparently such a good baby. I re- listened really well. I was potty trained at like nine months, like it was like a very good, quiet baby, but to the point where I think part of it was also my grandma was very domineering and very scary. I loved her to death. I told you this before, but she was diagnosed much later when she was like 84 as bipolar. So she raised me since I was born. My parents were both working my whole life, but she was a huge part of my story growing up in the sense of like, she really affected my life in so many ways some ways very difficult and also some ways very like, I feel very strong because of her too. And she was a very strong, strong woman. But anyways, yeah. So I was born in Texas. I don't really remember that. Then we moved to Massachusetts. I was living in a place called Natick. Then we moved to a place called Brookline. So this is all greater Boston area. So I lived there most of my life. I was basically, you know, it's funny because when I think about my past and my childhood, I was just doing what was supposed to be what, what I was supposed to do in the sense of like in Korean families, typically you have a lot of respect for your elders or the children. And you really, you're supposed to do right by your family. You represent your family when you're out on the street. So like, you know, do whatever you do in the house, but once you're out there, like you have to be proper, you have, and education is so important to Koreans. So education was a huge dominating force in my life. And I think also looking back, my grandma, because of her mood swings and because of her mental illness, I was constantly, ever since I was a child, reading people because it was was also my survival skill because when she was angry or freaking out or what have you, or going through her moments, I felt like it was my duty to make her feel better. And so not that I could actually control it looking back on it now, but I always felt like somehow I could always make things better. So that's a huge part of my life in the sense of like, I grew up very much observing people and making sure. And I never liked when anyone was upset. I was definitely the person who tried to keep the peace things like. Yeah. Yeah. So trying to just make sure everything was gravy. And at the time that made sense. I did well in school. I can make my family happy. You know, I had really great friends growing up. And now it's interesting growing up, looking back. And I'm so thankful because I still have them in my, in my life, my closest best friends from elementary school. We all came from immigrant families. 
So I think we naturally were attracted to each other. We totally understood each other when it was like, I'm sorry, I got to go home and I got to clean the house and I got to cook and I'm not allowed to be outside after dark. Like, and my friends would be like, okay, no, that's totally fine. Whereas I had certain friends who literally like, Gene, you're an independent person. You never need to listen to your parents. You need to stand up. I literally had a friend who said this and she's a wonderful, nice person, but she literally told me when I was like 10 years old, you go and you tell your parents, like, you don't need to go home. You're your own independent person. And I looked at her like, are you out of your, you want me to like get smacked in the face? Goodbye. I'm going home. I <laughs> you don't, don't understand my family. You don't know like, how they don't. operate. I was like, I was like, no way. So I grew up, I think always trying to do the right thing. And it was a blur. I worked really hard. I went to college and I went to a university that I didn't want to go to. It's so funny because I love now so much my MIT community. I love my nerds. I am a complete nerd who is actually not that smart. Sadly, I'm, I will admit, but I'm totally like a geek with, with different things that I'm interested in. You're smart in, and in your own way. You're smart I'm in the smart things in that my you... Own way. <laughs> We're very... We're going to be inclusive with ourselves here. You have your exactly. own unique intelligence. <laughs> exactly. Right? So I have my own, my own things that I guess I'm good at. But it's funny because when I was a kid, I had this image of MIT growing up so close to the campus of what it was. And I was like, oh, those are like weird, geeky people. Like, please, I will never go there. But I got my dad was like, can you just apply and see if you get in? And, and I was like, OK, I wanted to go to UPenn and I got in. I got into MIT too. Granted, they also gave me a lot more money, but my parents essentially forced me to go to that school, which now I'm I'm fine with. But at the time I was very upset. And that's, I think, when my brain cracked and I was like, okay, I'm starting to grow up and I'm very confused with the tension between, I love my family. I have a hard time with my family environment. And what does it mean to grow into being myself? Like, I don't understand. There's too many feelings that are pulling me this way, that way, what I should do. So I essentially cracked and I went, I was, I was not happy the first two years. I mean, I was happy in the sense that I met some really wonderful people that I'm still really good friends with. And I love MIT because there's so many people who are just passionate about what they want to do. And they're, they like, they are not apologetic about it at all, you know? And so, but I definitely, I never went to class the first two years, but I still had that side to me that was scared to be fully rebellious. So I'd go in to take the exams. I just wouldn't go to class. I would go out. I'd like, I remember I would be working out at like three in the morning. Cause I was just like doing nothing. Like, and, and then you, and you uh, passed. I understand that if you, if you finished, then you did pass. I, I, I did didn't pass. go to class. And I didn't go, but I went out to a bunch of parties. I had a great time and a part of me felt guilty. It was very confused. So I actually chose on my own to take a year off from school, which was a big deal for me because again, coming from my family situation, you know, I always usually listen to my parents more or less. And this was something I didn't tell them. I had gone during spring break for a few years to Miami. I loved the beach. So I legit worked one whole summer counting pills at a pharmacy, save money. And then I bought a one-way ticket to Miami. And then I called my parents from there and I was like, Hey, by the way, I took a year off and I'm living in Miami. Wow. Which, yeah. Which was like, now that I look back, I'm like, I don't know who that person was. Cause I feel a lot more fearful than I was at the time. I now, like now I'm just like, I feel much more like I was telling you, I have a little grandma that lives inside me. And I feel like much more of her comes out these days than back in the day. But yeah, I, I went, I didn't know anybody. I was waitressing, working at Nikki Beach and, and some other places. And I lived there for a year. And it was, 
I lived on my own and I made my way and it was fantastic. I'd go to the beach every morning and before I went to work and it was also very dramatic. I had In a crazy, I had a crazy relationship with someone I met at the beach and we were in a relationship and it was just very up and down. But I think what I learned from that relationship and from other ones after is it takes, I go through my cycles like any human where you, in order to understand yourself, you have these habits that you kind of repeat and you keep going in the hamster wheel through this until eventually something, something falls into place and you're ready for the change. Because I understand also change. I love the concept of change, but it's very hard because it's like, even if you know something doesn't feel right, you don't know what's on the other side of the change. So, so let's talk then a little bit about mm -hmm. some of those. Uh, I'm not forgetting that I have a grandma inside. We're going to come back to that later on because I think that's hilarious. I want you to talk about some of these patterns maybe that you've recognized the hamster wheel you're talking about in your life and how you, because you've obviously moved on from a lot of those things. Yes. So I'd love to hear about that. I don't want to use the word journey again, but it's, it's a journey really from uh, recognizing these patterns that we get stuck in to saying, oh, wait, I can get out of here. I can move on. I can move forward. Could you talk about some of those maybe some patterns. Okay. So some are, some patterns are, for example, things that I've learned as behaviors as a child, for example, the thing I was talking about earlier about wanting to please people, like really reacting first to, you know, people's faces. Like I, at one point thought about going to medical school because I was very confused. My sister's a, a doctor. A bunch of my best friends are doctors. I worked in research. My mom worked in hospitals for a long time. So for me, I was like, okay, after, cause after I went through my rebellious phase, I, I think part of me wanted to feel like I was accepted back as myself. And probably part of that fear made me want to, like, I didn't know what I wanted. So I'm pulling everybody around me. Who's mostly in the medical field. They're like, Oh yeah, that's good. You know, Jean, Jean can study and go to medical school. And like, I assume at that time they were probably like, you know, then she'll get back on track to like being more calm, et cetera. So there's a tendency in me to want to please others, which, you know, I understand a lot of people feel this way, you know, that people want people to be happy around them, but I do fall into that trap sometimes of, I want everyone else to be happy. And I get further away from feeling how I feel. And so that's something I'm much more conscious now that I'm older. I mean, other things like which fall into bad relationships are just, I grew up with an emotionally abusive caretaker. So it, so I was very used to swinging up and down and having destructive patterns in terms of this is not, if I look at my sister or my girlfriends that I love very much, do I want someone to be with someone who's doing this to them? Absolutely not. But for some reason, I could just naturally fall into it and, and be okay with it. And that has taken me a lot of time also to finally realize, oh, you know what? And that part of me was like, well, maybe this is the good grandma thing coming out. Meaning like, I feel like the little grandma inside of me is like, we need to be a little bit more calm to assess what's going on. And, and also I like to sleep early and I like to like, do healthy, calm things. I think when I was younger, I liked a lot of like more extreme emotions and, you know, like doing fun, crazy things. But so anyways, that I'm just going back to something, the ground. But yeah. Something you were maybe trying to get out of your system. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Absolutely. Totally. 100%. I think there was a lot of confusion about myself and how I grew up and what's good for me and what's bad for me. And because of that, there was a lot of energy, again, building on these metaphors, 
energy just like being generated by being on the hamster wheel. And that was one way to do it is not focus that energy on me, but to kind of expel it outwards with a lot of different, yeah, a lot of different scenarios. But so yes. you you grew out of some of those patterns in a way, or you, you realized yeah. that you were in those patterns and that they weren't good for you. And, and that they didn't serve me anymore. You know, and what, what you're calling the grandma inside of you, I'm going to say is maybe your, your inner voice, like your wisdom, your intuition yeah. saying, Hey, this is what your body is asking you to do. So mm-hmm. let's start, let's try it out and see what happens. Yes. 100. I, I, I agree with you. I think that's a correct assessment. And honestly, like I would say in order to do that, and I'm still doing that constantly. And I've accepted now that life is a constant effort and also enjoyment of the work that I've done. So it was a lot of work. I'm not going to lie. Like I'm almost 40 and it's like, it's taken me this long to be like, you know, what do I want to spend my time doing? Who are the people that I really want around me? And so, yeah, I'm not going to, I only say this because I don't want it to come off like, oh yeah, I had some dysfunctional stuff. And like, I worked through it and it was fine. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of time and a lot of figuring out how to ask for help. And also like, you know, working through things that I hadn't known that I had within me, which is like, I had shame and embarrassment about asking for help and to have to work through that. And so in that sense, like, I really, it sounds corny, but I really don't regret anything in my life. Even the worst things or or the darkest moments that I've had, I don't regret them only because I think they're really essential for having me be here where I am. And I'm grateful for being aware of the things that I'm aware of now. Let's put you know, it that way. Regret doesn't really help us at all. It, it's it's kind of pointing towards something that that we didn't feel right about or that we didn't feel good about or that we we know we would do differently in the future. So it's actually a great mm-hmm. lesson. Mm-hmm. You know? I want 100%. you to talk a bit more about asking for help because I think it's something that a lot of us well, okay, I'll speak in first person. I think that asking for help is fantastic. And I completely support anybody who is brave enough to ask for help because it requires bravery to ask for help. 100%. Yes. So talk about that, please. In terms of help, I grew up mostly being the one who wanted to help other people. I was the one who always, I'm like, if something's wrong, I want, again, going back to like, I don't want people to be in situations that are bad. So I always was used to trying to help other people. And so the interesting thing was like, I found that I was not comfortable asking for help though. Some I, and I was like, where is this coming from? But I, it felt like a physical barrier where I just don't, I feel much more comfortable giving advice or being like, listen, I can do this for you, but ask, I don't know what it, it is exactly, but I got to a point where I was like, okay, if I don't ask for help, something in me feels hypocritical because I, I always encourage people to ask me for help. And also I can't do this alone. I just can't. It's a very, I think being alone is a wonderful thing in many ways, but loneliness and loneliness is important too. I think everything's important. Solitude. I I like to distinguish between loneliness and solitude. Mm, Okay. Yes. I, I totally get that. Yes. So I think solitude is important. Solitude is chosen alone time. You know, loneliness, I think is when you're alone and you don't want to be. And being alone is really important. For it's super some important. people, for most for everybody, I think. I think for everybody, I think a lot of people don't. A lot, okay, now that, but I'm reading a lot of people are. Oh my gosh, I read like maybe two years ago, 
like an article in NPR where there's some an increase of petty crime from elderly people in certain cities in Japan because they're so lonely. And so if they commit a crime and go to jail, they have a little community in the jail. So I was reading things like that. And then also you look at the trends of technology and all the different apps that are there. I mean, either to zap you of this concept of loneliness, but really they're just like making you into a zombie. We all know what those things are. Or, you know, they. I was even reading about like different robotic baby seals that some people will carry because this baby seal looks like it's listening and it like looks into your eyes or, or whatever. So there's all these things that have to deal with the loneliness we're talking about. And, you know, that, it, it makes it makes me sad because we're so many people. And I think it's important we learn how to connect properly. Part of that is asking for help. Part of that is saying, listen, I, I, I want your company or sharing joy together, et cetera. But sharing joy and sharing struggle, too. Exactly. That's what it is. So ask, asking for help is hard, but I, I completely am like I'm. Oh, and also I'm always telling people because and it, it's been hard. But now I force myself like if you don't ask for something, that's your fault. Now, what I tell my friends is if you if you feel uncomfortable asking me for something, ask me and I will I promise you I will give you an authentic no if I don't want to give it to you. So with that, with that assurance, please ask me. And if I can't do it, I'll, I'll be like, no. And I, I hope the same goes for the other way around. But I really like, please ask. It kind of reminds me of it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. It's really important to take that leap of faith and ask people for help because you know that the worst case scenario is that they say no. Yeah, and exactly. And from there, it just goes up, you know? Yep, yep. So it's, it's really, it's really kind of crossing that little threshold that, you know, just like taking that deep breath and just going for it and saying, I need help. Can you help me? You know, or who can help me? Exactly. And I, and I think everybody needs it. So it's like normal, you know? So I just, I hope, yeah, it's funny. Cause you like, imagine like people asking for help are I had this stereotypical idea of people asking for help as like someone annoying who's nagging you like, can you help me with this? Can you do this for me? Can That's not the case. Like I'm surrounded by people who legit are just like struggling with something and they won't, they won't reach out. So yeah, no. Why do you think that we believe that we have to be so independent and be able to solve all of our own problems? Oh God, that's a, that's a good question. I know as an American, we have so much of this mythology of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and being super independent. When you, when you go, if you decide to go to college, you are, you know, you're an adult and goodbye, that type of thing, or just like growing up really quickly, generally. Yeah. And everything is again, that whole mythology of like, you can do it. I made it so you can do it, which I don't think is accurate or fair. It doesn't make sense. I think it came from a beautiful place. It came from a, a beautiful place because of the, of people, well, it depends. Okay. Because obviously our history, our country's history is very complicated. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying it. <laughs> a little bit diplomatically, but the idea, okay. For some of the people who came to America, the American dream is for the people that it worked out for. It is an important story that it makes sense that we keep propelling this myth, but the reality is 
And I can say as someone who grew up with two parents and like who grew up where in a, in a situation where I feel privileged compared to a lot of other people who had to struggle really hard and just socioeconomically the way that the country has been constructed, at least recently, you know, it's very, it's hard to make it. It's just hard. And so well, the idea- it, the system yeah. is designed for certain people to make it very easily and others not so much. Exactly. And so, and I see that across the board, like globally, some countries a little bit less than others, for example, I really, it changed my life. I don't know if this happened to you, but like it changed my life having free healthcare. It totally, I love the way that Jean, just like, if you guys could see her, she just like kind of leaned in a little closer and was like, Brian, isn't it amazing that in Spain we have like public healthcare? <laughs> it's like, I, when I talk to my, cause of course, like my closest people here, they're like, why are you still there? Like you need to come back. There's wonderful things about America that I just, I can't even stop going on about how much I do love this country. And I appreciate how I grew up. Like I have, my best friends are from, their families are from all over the world, you know? And I, I grew up eating Ethiopian food, like Jewish Ukrainian food, like, you know, halal food, like they, so I love that side, but Lord have mercy. Like once you go to a country where you have free healthcare, you realize like there's so your health is a right. Like if I'm sick, why do I have to force myself to go to work? And like, and why do I have to worry about all my savings? Because is it my fault that I'm sick? Really? Like, where was I going with this? But yeah, no, that's one thing where I'm like, oh my gosh, like, this is amazing. We really need to try this in, in the States and everywhere, like essentially. Yeah. I, I, there are, being someone who lives in another country, I think we're often asked about things like this because people want to know what it's like, you know, comparing two or more different systems that we've lived in. And, and a lot of the questions that I've gotten here about coming from the States is, but you know, how is it possible that you guys don't have like, you know, healthcare if you need it? Like what happens if you get sick? Yeah. And it's also really interesting to think about it from the point of view of somebody who has only ever lived in the States, who only knows that system. And they might be like, yeah, well, why would the government pay for my health care? Exactly. You know, it's my responsibility, yeah. you know, which is, it's really, I think it speaks to the complexity of the U.S. experiment. And, and I'm curious to have you talk a little bit more about what it was like for you growing up. I mean, you were born in the States. You, I, I hear you speaking, you identify as an American, as a U.S. American, and you were just talking about how you had, you know, friends and how they had different cuisines. And so what was it like being you growing up in the States? Because I'm sure it was very different than being me growing up in the States. Yeah. You know, I'm Euro descendant. My name is Brian David George. You know, the system is kind of built for somebody more like me than it is for someone more like you. First of all, like your name was so unique to me because they're <laughs> like, to me, they're like, okay, this is going to sound ignorant, but I was like, they're like first names all in okay. a row. And I was like, wow, this is like, this Do you is so know, cool. that's actually one of my childhood traumas. Like I'm reclaiming I'm the sorry. name because no, it's, it's cool. I'm reclaiming <laughs> that name because I've heard that my entire life. Like, oh yeah, you have three first names, you know, we're oh. all three of you. And I'm like, okay, well it's just like, it's just my name. Like I didn't choose yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no totally. Wait, where were you born? I'm from Newport news, Virginia. You're from Virginia. Yes. Oh, no way. My friend was talking about moving there. And I was like, I don't know much about Virginia, except when I was in D.C., we like crossed the bridge and like, hey, we're in it's Virginia. It's a beautiful and I like, state. It, I mean, it's very beautiful. You have the mountains, you, have, you have the sea. And the sea. Yeah. So it's very I mean, cool. You have a little bit of everything and and people are mostly friendly. <laughs> OK, well, 
I have to, I have to go to that area one day because anyways, my friend was talking about moving to that area, but yeah, no, I grew up in the Northeast mostly. Remember I was born in Texas, but then I don't remember anything about that. And then, you know, what I noticed is that because we had, my school was predominantly white, but we had students from different countries enough to the point that my closest friends were from immigrant families. I think because we had a lot of people also because Boston's so just like we have international people coming in, we have people from different cultures, everything that's been there, they've been there forever. So, I mean, I had Korean friends growing up. It's interesting because I grew up so much with this concept of I am in my house. It was so natural to me. I was in my house. And then once I leave and I go to school, I'm Jean. And it was this very natural code switching that now I can like analyze and be like, Oh, like this is probably why it's like helpful for me and blah, 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 or whatever. But at the time it was just my life. I didn't even like, it wasn't something I complained or thought was terrible. I was just, now I remember it was difficult in the sense of like, you know, people commented on my food a lot, how I smelled because we were like, I mean, like I don't cook now, which is a shame because I don't like cooking but I grew up literally making not kimchi, the fine, you make kimchi, but I literally made like the fermented bean paste from scratch with my grandma. Like I'd be wow. fermenting beans. They would stink up the house. Like we'd roll them up in balls and put them along the radiator. Like we did all that stuff, like all those different sauces that you buy, gochujang, tenjang. I made all of those things. We made stinky soy sauce. We made like all these different things in the house. So, and also a key thing is that you probably know this better than I do, but in terms of like, fluency like if you are living in let's say america where english is the dominant language my parents could speak to me in korean but if i know that they understand english i the child is going to tend to respond back in english i was going to ask what language did you answer your parents in i was it has changed because my grandma raised me and she couldn't speak any english and that's why i can speak korean now i speak like a baby but so i would speak a lot in Korean. This is what I, my sister even went to ESL when she was in kindergarten because she couldn't speak English, but now she speaks worse Korean than I do, but that's okay, Lynn. Anyway, so the thing is, so a lot of code switching and then at school, very paranoid about, I remember very distinctly, very paranoid about how I smelled like garlic, like fish and being very nervous about that. And then, I mean, it's funny to me now and I appreciate it now, but there's just things like my grandma was very old school. Like she was like, we don't want bugs. So she'd always keep the garlic shavings and like the, the cover and she'd put them under the bed. She'd put them like, she'd say, oh, this is going to smell. She, we eat fruit for after dinner, like orange peel, she'd throw them under the bed. So like, it's funny because like my dog would sometimes come out and she'd always drag out like different pieces of dried, like like whatever, orange peels, whatever, what have you. So I remember being, feeling different, but I do remember also that I felt not beautiful. And it, again, it's not, it's not something where I'm like, oh, I don't feel beautiful. No, I was just like, oh, I just, I'm not, I'm not beautiful. People will say like, I'm a cute doll or something when I was a kid, but I never felt beautiful. I never had that concept. Also as background, my mom is also very like, she's, I've never seen her wear makeup in her life. She's very like, she doesn't care about those things. And I am thankful for that in the sense of like, she was like, your looks are not everything. It's your brain. That's important. But I grew up feeling not beautiful. And I 
always was very aware that the white girls were very pretty in my mind. And then like, there was this guy that we all loved and I was always very much like, and again, not consciously or like, (laughs) that's living in Spanish. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You were going to say something in Spanish. It's fine. Complaining or any, it was just like, to me, it was facts. It was facts. Like I'm out of his league. Excuse me. The other way around. He's out of my league. Like, I'm not even a go there. No, actually, like, you I, were out of his league. That's the way I it like, really was. <laughs> <laughs> so, but again, I was very, the thing that I'm very happy about is that I look back and I loved school. I loved seeing my friends. I loved gym. I loved studying. Like I'd spend hours with my best friends on the phone, like filling out our homework things on the phone. Like I have very happy memories, but if I look back in terms of identity, it was very much like, confusing confusing but also not spoken about so I was just like where it is what it is this is how my life is and then as I got older when I got when I was in high school I took this amazing course with it was like a pilot course on American studies but through the through the lens of race and gender so one of the teachers Lutheran Williams who was amazing he is black and he's gay and then the other teacher I'm gonna screw up her name Janet it's either Janet Young or Janet young home and she was white and identified as lesbian and they taught the course and it was it opened my mind because it gave me a language to understand a lot of my experiences and then things started clicking from there I joined also there was like this weekend group free courses for students in the Boston area called CAPE it was coalition for Asian Pacific American youth so I would go to UMass Boston on the weekends. And I would take courses on Asian American history because we didn't really learn that stuff at school. So that's when it's school and, and these courses. And also, of course, my friends like really opened my life in terms of like understanding my experience and putting labels and being able to be like, oh, someone else went through this similar thing instead of just like, because again, it was very all organic. Like I legit would say to my friend, no, I, I can't roll it really right now. I'm chopping 40 pounds of meat right now with my grandma. And she'd be like, okay, that's fine. Cause I have to make like a million pounds of potato salad later, you know? And like, it was very natural, but it's something, there's something powerful when you understand systems, structures, labels, and why they're coming up. And what's also interesting, especially for being Asian American is that Cafe was powerful for me because it also helped me understand things such as like the model minority myth and understanding this concept of, you know, there's a lot of structural racism against, you know, people of color, including Asian people. But because this myth was created that the Asians are like the good minorities, you start pitting groups that like you start pitting Asians against Blacks, Latinos, like Native Americans. And so you have, we should be reuniting in the similar causes that we have, but instead you'll see a lot of people like going head to head, you know? And so, and, and you even see that today in terms of like some difficulty, though I do see some changes and some advances, which make me happy, but in terms of seeing the overlap and the unity and the power that we can create from that. And so, I mean, that also led me to like, for me, hip hop really resonated with me when I was growing up because I like the message, like I was like, Oh my gosh, like the message makes sense. Like, and I'm talking more like old school hip hop, although I, I enjoy like everything, not this. I feel like an old lady now when I hear all this like synthesized. I'm going to propose, I'm going to propose yeah. that we talk about your, your, well, okay. Old soul, I guess is the word I was going to say. And that all, it still has the word old. So maybe you have a, 
a mature no, soul. Okay. You have a mature soul. Yeah, right? I was like, I was like, I don't know. All the music sounds the same to me now, but that's okay. I understand that system too. That's like commercialization. But anyways, like, but I had this side to me too, where I was like, I love hip hop. I mean, I'm, I sucked, but I like, my friend would like teach me how to break dance and stuff. But the thing is like, I was attracted to that because I felt like there were, there was the language and the meaning that I could relate to. Whereas I felt like there wasn't a main Asian American music movement that spoke to me, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, no, in terms of identity, there's been a lot of like, of understanding myself, especially now as an adult, as a, from a, being from an immigrant family, feeling very Korean. And it's so interesting because again, it depends on where I am and we can get into this when we talk about our experiences in Spain. I'm curious about your experience in Spain as well, but moving to Spain, especially as an adult, because I think part of me rejected so much of being an, an American. And I, I kept saying, you know, I'm really Korean and all this stuff because I felt constantly like, and it's not a lie. This always happens. It's like, where are you really from? Oh like, my God. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I know it sounds old, but it's like, legit people still ask me no 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 where are you like really from and it's like okay by now we have all this pc mumbo jumbo where like you could ask a different way although i have a whole different spiel with being pc because i also think that's being pc can put a lot of distance between people and having like authentic conversations pc for non-native speakers could you explain what pc means oh being politically correct so always knowing uh, apparently now and i'm just learning this now it's like being woke or whatever I love it. So it's like you say all the correct terms. And on the one hand, as someone who has dealt with a lot of like ridiculous things and offensive things being told to me. Yeah. When you hear PC language, it's nice because you just cruise through life. But on the other hand, sometimes I'm like, you know, if you make things way too PC and people and there's a lot of fear inserted into the language, you lose chances for people to be like, no, let's have an honest conversation. Like, why is this offensive? Like, why is this, this and that? But at the same time, I'm not going to lie. Being someone who's explained many times, honestly, what, why is this or why is that? It is very tiring too. Like when you so-called educate someone, that is also very tiring as well. Or having to over explain again and again and again, the same concept to different people that can be tiring. The crazy thing is when I go to Korea, the first thing they say is, oh, she's so American. She's not Korean. Yes. When I'm in America, they're like, oh, you're not American. And then when I moved to Spain, the crazy thing is, again, they didn't know I, what to, they didn't know what to do with you. They right? call me Chinita. Everybody thinks I'm Chinese. But anyways, like the, the thing is when I moved to Spain, what changed, what I, the shift that I felt and being an, an adult with armed with more languages and, and, and ideas to help me understand things I realized, holy, my God, like I feel- You can say holy shit, it's fine. Go for it. I, I know, holy <laughs> shit. I was like, I feel so American. Like I feel very American. There is a side, granted, I also feel very Korean in Spain too, because I think that there's very common cultural things between Korea and Spain, believe it or not, in terms of being very close to family. We're both peninsulas. I know that doesn't seem like a big deal, but it does. And, and it is a deal. It is a deal. Yes. And we both have had huge civil wars going to Spain. Like initially the first year I was like, okay, this is cool. I like it because I'm alone. I don't know anybody. And so I'm doing things that I typically don't do. I'm taking Muay Thai classes. Like I'm going to like 
go on all these little day trips by myself, which Spain is amazing for. Like Spain is also just besides the stereotypical amazing things. It's just like, it's such a severely like very magical country. I feel like, you know, so like I was enjoying all that side, you know, also I couldn't speak Spanish. Like I couldn't speak Spanish. I was just like trying the type of things where you're just like, I want to buy that thing there. But no, I'm not even going to try to ask. I don't know how to ask for it. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just going to look at it and then run away. Like it was really hard for me. My my job when I first came here, I spoke mostly in English. So I felt comfortable when anyone spoke to me in Spanish. I was like, I am going to just disappear. Like I can't do this. Like so it was very hard. And also things like, oh, my gosh, like so obviously I'm coming with this. And it made me realize also so much of like, okay, so I think I'm an open-minded person, like, but I'm coming here with all these assumptions as to how the city should, should function. I am an asshole. Like (laughs) I, I went in, I didn't know anything about Madrid. You know, I had a lot of adventures in Spain because I couldn't speak the language well, but also people were very helpful. Our, um, Anna, who I, who you and I both know, like she was so helpful. She was the one, I didn't know how to go to the doctor. She's the one who set me up with the doctor. Like there's so many instances where I was like, okay, it feels so hard. And then I think about my parents. Yeah. I was just going to ask you about your parents. I, and it's, and I was like, I am such a spoiled kid because it's taken me time, but I, now I can't stop. I can't stop thinking about my parents and how it was for them to immigrate in the seventies to the States and to build a family and a life. And then I appreciate how hard it must've been for them to not understand the culture, to see me and my sister come home doing these things that they're like, what is this American stuff? Like, what are they doing? You know, being worried for us. And it gave me so much appreciation for them. And yeah, the first year I was like, I'm going to work, put on my CV and then I'm going back home. That's what I thought. And then after a year, something clicked. And I was like, wait a second. I like, I I like living here. Like this is, this is really nice. One interesting thing I did notice was that I naturally again made friends with people from who are from immigrant families. I went to Muay Thai class and these two women came up to me like legit, like in high school saying, Hey, do you want to be friends? And I was like, oh yeah, this is so cute. No one's asked me like that in like decades. I was like, yeah, let's be friends. And they're Families are from Brazil and the Dominican Republic. And my other good friend, he's families from the Philippines. So I think we have something in common that makes us, again, attracted to each other. But yeah, no. How long did it take you to want to stay in Spain? Well, you know, we before we started recording, we were talking about, you know, when, when you're in a different space, it kind of gives you permission to discover more about yourself. Totally. 100%. You just said now that, you know, after a year, you kind of knew that you wanted to stay. And I guess for me, it was, I also planned to come for a year. Like that was my initial plan. I had an internship, blah, blah, blah. And, and after, a, you know, after, I guess the first six months, I mean, it was also true that I, I had a boyfriend at the time and I wanted oh, to that, continue that also, yeah. with it. You know, <laughs> love does make things different. So no, I no, I'm not to... gonna lie. Let me insert for me too. That, that, that <laughs> is an influence. Yep. For sure. It's an influence. And, and then, you know, that, that did end. And I was at that point, I guess that was five years in when I was like, yeah, so what am I going to do? Am I going to stay or am I going to go? And I was like, you know what? I, I actually like 
this space I have here, I'm gonna use your words, you said this earlier, to grow into being yourself. I feel like changing the context that I am from, that I grew up in and going to a new one has given me the place and the space. And those are not my words, I'm borrowing them from someone. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> uh, the space and the place to, to discover, to grow into being me. And I want you to talk a little bit about that, that for you, like the space and the place. What, what is Spain meant for you? What is Madrid meant for you that you didn't have in your, your place back in the States? You know, my mentor, he told me once, and I always think about this, uh, every relationship has an optimal distance. And it's, it's your job to figure out what's the best distance for each relationship. And, and assuming that they also change with time. I think because my family was so close, it was hard for me to go through the different difficulties and, and traumas that I had from my childhood being around them. And it's not their fault. It's just when you're so enmeshed with your family, it's hard to analyze things without being afraid of hurting someone's feelings or, or what have you. And I think leaving my family helped me understand and digest different parts of myself that I hadn't been able to. And then all, and even my friends too, because my, because your, your friends and family back at home, they know you in a specific way. And some of the ways that they know you, you didn't necessarily choose. You kind of fell into that track and you stuck with it. Whereas maybe you want to bust out and you want to do something different on this, but you, the tendency is like, and my other friend told me this the other day, she was like, they, your friendships, you tend to act the way you did when you first met them. So like your childhood friends, when you're back with them, you still have this childhood vibe when you guys meet. Right. Whereas when you make adult friends, it's a, it's a whole different vibe. But um, so I think I needed that space first. And when you're alone and when you're alone and you cannot also, this probably going back to you what we were talking about. You cannot run away from yourself, maybe. You can't exactly. You can't run from yourself. And then also like it helped me figure out that I needed to ask for help. This is one instance where I legit was like, I cannot, I can't do this. Like, I just don't understand these forms. You know, I had to ask for help and you start to change your habits by practicing something new and actually seeing, seeing the outcome once, because sometimes it's hard to break out of something because you're just like, I don't know what's going to happen. Right. But if you try something new and you keep giving yourself a feedback that actually makes you realize actually this outcome is positive. Maybe I can lean towards like trying that behavior. So definitely that. And I'm, let, let, let me not like ignore the fact that again, the, the free healthcare thing really, it changed the way that I even think about my body in the terms of like, people would tell me, Jean, why are you sick with a fever in the office? Like go home. And I, I it made me nervous. I was like, cause I have to come to work. And they're like, no, go to the doctor get your days off or just, but you need to rest. I found that a lot of people were much more likely to have this culture of like, you need to take care of yourself. Everyone always told me you need to, like on the weekends, I'm like, you need to disconnect. And I was like, why does everybody say the same thing to me? What is this disconnecting? But now this is something that I say too. It's essential to disconnect from the hamster wheel of work or whatever you have going with your family or what have you. You need time to disconnect and be with yourself. And I'm very thankful because I understand also that is, I was, you know, I was single. I don't have children. I was able to like uproot myself and go to a different country, which I think a lot of people don't have that chance to do. They don't have that luxury, but I do think that there are different ways that I wish we could encourage most people to 
find ways to be by themselves and, and literally disconnect from the routine that they typically have, because you learn it, you express a different side of yourself. You, you nurture a different side of yourself when you actually take the time to intentionally say, I'm going to do something totally different than Mm. what I'm always doing. Like in, in, in the wheel. You know, it's, um, I mean, we are a work in progress and life is a process. And, and so we're continuously learning as life unfolds to, to do it better and to know ourselves better. I really liked what you said earlier about like a language to describe, you know, this group that you were with, it gave you a language to describe your experience, which you hadn't had that language before and to understand, you know, what your process is and how you are becoming more of who who you are, you know, who you were born to be. Uh, you're, you're discovering more of, I guess, what your purpose is in life in a way. I guess so in, in a way, or I'm also just like these days, I want, I understand how much, like how important it is to me to find meaning. But like you said, because we're, we're work in progress, I'm also very aware. I'm constantly reminding myself like, the meaning that I have now, it might change and that's okay. Yes. Like not to put pressure on that. Yeah. Right. So things are morphing. Yes. I mean, we are a process, the purpose in life, you know, maybe today we have one purpose and in five years we'll have a different purpose and that's fine. That's the way it's, that's the way it is. You know, it is that way. I, I am, ah, I'm a little sad because we're coming to the end of time and that means we're going to be wrapping up for today that does not mean there's not going to be more of this conversation for today we're going to wrap up and at the end of every episode i ask all my guests to challenge people listening to do something it can be anything something simple to to change their lives for the better to become more of who they are and i was just listening to you talk i'm going to propose something let's see what you think when you when you were talking about you know ways to be by yourself i was like oh I would love for you to challenge people, like to give some ideas on ways to be more yourself. What do you think about that? Would that be a, a challenge that you are interested in okay, or would so, you like a different so, challenge? Okay. So the, it's, it's a challenge embedded in a challenge, which is annoying. Great. I'm such an annoying person. That's so great. I think, <laughs> I, think, I think you have to, if you had, you have to figure out, did you have like a childhood dream or something that you always wanted to do? And that you can, you just never found time to do. And if so, like, is there any way you can kind of do something similar to that or try? It's it's essentially like do you, it's annoying because a hobby sounds like a big a big thing to take on. But if like you loved to write and now you just don't have time, like, is there any way that you can schedule into your week like two days a week? Obviously, ideally, it'd be every day but like two days a week to just take five minutes to sit outside and to write whatever the hell is on your mind. I, when I first came to Spain, I wanted so bad to see a flamenco show and I went and I was totally blown away. And then I wanted to take a lesson and I was so nervous that I waited, like I waited four years to start. And then um, I always used to excuse because I was like, I don't have the shoes. What should I do? And the person wouldn't email me back. And so I was like, Hey, I'm not taking it, I guess. But once I started, it was like, it like gives me life. I suck. Don't ever ask me to show you any moves, but it's like. We're going to be posting a video of Jean dancing flamenco. (laughs) But it like, it legit, it gives, it's one of those few things where you're doing something 
that is for me, it's very hard. It's very tough. It's challenging on multiple levels because it's also dealing with like learning your body and being aware of the different sensations you like. I realized I was like, well, I have shame in how I carry my body, you know, like, and I noticed that from taking dance lessons and having to look at myself in the mirror, but it's something I always wanted to do. And because I'm doing it, even though I stink at it, like it makes me so happy. Like if I do my class, shout out to my teachers, like we've been online, like doing it when I do my class after I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I did it. You just feel different. Just devoting time to something that you've always wanted to try to do, but you haven't, even if it's a little bit of time, it makes a difference. I tell you anything to bring you joy. To think about the things that brought you joy as a child and write about them, try them out, do something just for the sake of joy. Yeah. And even in the privacy of your home, you don't need to tell anyone. You don't even take a class. Just try it out like on your own. It's like it's like a giving a gift to yourself. I think we need to give ourselves gifts in that sense. You know, it's like I love so many people in my life. And sometimes it's like I it sounds really tacky again, but it's like I need to focus sometimes on sharing that love towards myself and being like, Oh, cause I always, I always buy, I was telling my mom this other day. I always buy my friends and my sister gifts that I would never even buy for myself. Cause I'm like, Oh, they're too expensive. Cause I love, I want to share this thing with them. I don't do it for myself, but now I'm like, okay, maybe I should like be nicer to myself and, and do th- insert myself into, into the gift chain. You know what I mean? Give, give yourself the gift of love. Mm-hmm. Right. Stop, 100%. Stop pleasing everyone else yep. and, and love yourself. Give yourself that gift. 100%. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much, Jean, Aww, for being thank you. here. That was fun. If, if you guys want to, to follow Jean or connect with Jean, we will put a link in the show notes where you can find her. It's been fun. And like I said before, this is just the, this is just the beginning. Yeah. There mm-hmm. will be a second part for this for sure. Oh, this would be, this has been really fun to talk. Yeah, no, I, Brian, I, kudos to you. I don't know how you're doing this. This is like, it's, it's very, it's very special. It's fun. You know, this is my childhood dream, I guess. I don't know. My, actually my, my childhood dream was to be a clown. So I don't know exactly what the relationship is with this and it's fine. Like I'm just clowning around with people and we're just recording it and we're just putting it out there. I know this is like fun. Initially I was like nervous and I was like, this is not a job. This is something fun. I was like, I'm talking to Brian, like I need to chill out. So this is, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jean. Thank you.